we are starting a new series called Rooted. Yes. When I see those beautiful trees, it just wants me, makes me want to be in a forest with my roots deep in the soil of God's love, just blossoming with the, the power of His presence and the glory of His fruitfulness. And I pray that as we go through this sermon series, that would be your portion. Amen. How many of you have ever taken a train, uh, not a train trip, a plane trip? How many of you have ever been on a plane? On a plane. Fantastic. Fantastic. Have, ever, have you ever had one of those flights that is full of bumpy turbulence? If you haven't, I pray you never have one. I have had them where you, it felt like for 30 minutes I was on a roller coaster. You know, and I'm, I'm hanging on to the the handlebars next to me, what do you call those things? The, those armrests, armrests. <laughs> I'm hanging on to them for dear life and all I want to do is just grab the person next to me, the old lady sitting next to me and say, save me, save me. But she looks as terrified as me and the plane's going up and down and I'm just eyeing where that air sick bag is because you know, any minute now, it's a, it's a crazy and a tough feeling. And I remember this one particular journey, we were flying into Joburg and there were storms about and it was like that. And literally there was an old lady next to me who, who was very grateful that I didn't grab her. She looked like she wanted to grab me at the same time. But we landed and you know, sometimes at OR Tambo, they don't put the, the walkway out. They just kind of put you on the side and you have to get on a bus and all that. And so as I was walking off the plane and I stepped onto the tarmac, I just, you know, I wanted to fall down on my hands and knees and start kissing the tarmac. I was just so grateful that it didn't move. You know, I was just so grateful that I was on solid ground and it was just, it wasn't like shaking and roller coasting all over. Can, 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 you, can you get my heart how I felt? I didn't kiss the ground because that would have been really weird, but I, I felt like it. I felt like it. And it, as I was preparing for this sermon series, I felt like I want you to experience this. Not the turbulence, but life is turbulent. Some stuff happens, you know. Uh, some of you, you felt like you've been on a roller coaster for the last six months or whenever. And at the same time, I want you to know that there is solid ground in all of that. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. There are, there are foundations in our faith that are so secure, so, so safe, so solid that nothing will move them. And when we're going through those difficult times, I want you to remember these foundations. I want to find, your, find you to find yourself standing on solid ground, on solid understanding, on a, a strength of the knowledge of God with you. I want to find you rooted in truth. So we're going to be talking about the most important foundations for a solid and good Christian faith today. I hope you're happy about that. God is love. We've talked about this before. In this year, in fact, we've talked about how God is love. But it certainly is the most profound truth about God. It's one of those imperatives. God is not loving. God is love. There's a big difference. God doesn't just exude love sometimes. He is love. Anything that looks like love in, God ha love in this earth has its origin in God. God is love. God is love. I heard something so profound recently that it just really made me just stand up and take notice. There is only one God, and his name is Yahweh. 
He is our God. He is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's, he's God our Father. He's the Son, Jesus Christ, and He's Holy Spirit who is with us. Yahweh, one God, one and only. But there are many other religions out there that think they have a God. But not one of those gods can be love. I want you to think clearly. This is going to be a difficult concept. Follow me. Not one of those gods can be love. Why is that? Because love is about relationship. So you cannot be love if you're just a singularity, if you're just one thing by yourself. You can't be love because there's nothing to love. And God didn't just become love when he created you. God is love. It's an intrinsic, absolute statement about God. Before you existed, God was love. God has always been love. And how can he do that? Because the Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Spirit. The Spirit loves the Father. Together they are in this glorious relationship of love that is filling them, that is satisfying them, that is beautiful, magnificent. And they look at this incredible love and they said, there should be more of this. How do we make more of this? We have to make more things to love. And so you were created. The only way that God can be love is that he must be three in one. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is what enables him to be love. No other God ever spoken of or invented by humankind can be love. Everyone should be a Christian. Just saying. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. 1 John 4, 6. God is love. Unfortunately, some people have heard that truth and thought that it meant that God, God would always be kind of kind and sweet and a big teddy bear to them. They kind of thought it meant God had no boundaries. God had no, well, he has no boundaries in himself, but had, had no likes and dislikes. He, he would always just, just think great things about you. Which he does. So where am I going with this? God isn't just love. There's another imperative statement that says about God. God is holy. God is holy. Holiness is not self-righteousness. Holiness is not the person that is sitting at work with that look on their face of absolute disdain at your shoes that have got mud on them. That's not holiness. Holiness is not, I'm better than you. Holiness is not, Oh, my word, prove that you're good enough for me. Holiness is not some kind of exclusionary kind of attitude to, towards people who are different or other than them. Holiness is the very nature of God. Everything that is in God is holy. Everything that is not in God is not holy. God is absolutely morally pure, glorious, and good. And holiness is the greatest news you will ever hear. Holiness is what you crave, what you crave. Holiness is what you long for. Holiness is the very atmosphere of life and blessing and goodness and truth and wholeness. Holiness is ice cream with the goodness of broccoli. That's what holiness is. It's everything you want. It's everything you want. But part of it is moral purity. 
And this is the thing, is that God cannot be compromised. Absolutely, he can't be compromised. So what does that mean? It means that anything that is not God cannot be found in God. That's, that seems fairly self-explanatory. Would you agree with me? Anything that is not God cannot be found in God. Therefore, anything that is unholy cannot be found in God because God is holy. It is his nature and his way. What does that mean? That, that anything that separates God from his ability to love cannot be found in him. So sin, pain, disaster, heartbreak cannot be found in God. What does that mean? We are all very angry about that big evil out there. Those politicians, that terrible school teacher that you had, those criminals who stole, stole your hubcaps last week, whoever it is, that terrible evil out there, we're all angry about it. But the hard, difficult thing to admit is that that big evil out there is not our main problem. The, big, the main problem is the evil in here, the evil in our hearts. God's love compels him drives him to be with you. But the unholiness, the ungodliness, the sin in our lives means that us coming into his presence would immediately, we would immediately be destroyed because God doesn't have to try to destroy sin. Do you understand this? That when, when anything that is not God comes into his presence, it is destroyed because God can only be God. There is no place for anything other than God in God. And therefore, sin cannot live in God's presence. It is just instant, instantly obliterated. What does that mean? What does that mean for you and me? Guys, it's got to help you to ask a question is how do I get into God's presence, that glorious love, that magnificent holiness? How can I make it mine? How can I be in it? God has a great solution. He has a great solution. How many of you saw the movie Avatar? And I'm sorry, I know I'm dating myself a little bit, but apparently they are making some sequels to it. They're just taking a very long time with it, and I just wish they would hurry up because I love that movie. If you haven't seen the movie Avatar, some people are looking blankly at me. Go to Netflix, find it, watch it. You won't be sorry. So the story goes that humankind heads off to this other planet somewhere out there. And this planet is beautiful, magnificent. It's got minerals beyond our wildest imagination, wealth and lovely things. But its atmosphere is completely toxic to human beings. So human beings, if they step out of their spaceship onto that planet, they die. But they want to be on that planet. This planet is inhabited by a big blue people. And this big blue people are perfectly adapted for that environment. And so the only way that these human beings can get onto the planet, it sounds a bit creepy now, it's better in the movie, but they, what they do is they take these big blue people and they put their own spirits or soul, or their like essence, into these big blue people, and then they walk into this, into this world with a big blue person body, and they can live in that atmosphere. I know it sounds creepy and weird, but it's a movie, you know? It's a movie. It doesn't, didn't seem so creepy when I watched it, but now that I say it. But nonetheless, that's what they do. It's almost like they, they put on a suit that, that will enable them to live in that atmosphere, a body suit. Well, how does God get us into his presence? He puts us into a heaven suit. Who is that heaven suit? That heaven suit is Jesus Christ, perfectly suited for living in God's presence. 
part of the gospel is this, is that Jesus takes you warts and all, no warts here, but warts and all, problems and all, brokenness and all, pain and all. He takes you and he hides you inside of him. And then he walks into God's presence and says, here are your children. Here are your children. God is love. God is holy. Leviticus 11.44 says, For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourself therefore and be holy as I am holy. How can you be holy? We've all tried. It hasn't worked very well. Usually it, my attempts at holiness break down by breakfast. How do, am I holy? Not, not by working harder, but hiding myself in Christ. Hiding myself in Christ. It's no longer me who lives, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the one who loved me and died for me. Galatians 2.20. We hide ourselves in Christ. God is holy. God is merciful. Aren't you grateful for that? God is merciful. What does mercy mean? Mercy means that he literally comes and sees all the bad you've done, and he puts his hand over and looks the other way. And you don't get the punishment you deserve. How many of you feel grateful about that? You know, the fact that I am married to Andrew for 30 years is God's mercy. Because there were many times I have done things, spoken in ways, acted in ways in our marriage, that if he had acted that way towards me, we wouldn't have been married anymore. And yet he was merciful. And he said, Carol, I love you, and I'm going to overlook that. And I'm so grateful he did. And it's like that with God. He's overlooking things so that we can be in relationship. He's merciful. He's merciful. It's beautiful. Aren't you grateful? Aren't you grateful? I mean, I, I, I've studied some of the other religions and some of those other gods. They're not merciful. They're not merciful. They're not real. <laughs> but also, they're not merciful. Romans 9, 16 says, So then our salvation depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Think about any day of yours. Any day. Can, can you remember one single day in your entire life when you didn't do one thing wrong and when you didn't think one thing wrong? Can you remember a day? If you can, go and ask your friend to remind you what you did that day. <laughs> because I don't think those days exist. Because the truth is separated from God, outside of God, we just can't be good. And it's not, Christianity is not about trying harder. It's about surrendering more to what he's done. It's about hiding ourselves in Christ. It's about finding him. It's by, about being united to him. It's not about our will or exertion. It's about God who has mercy. You can't earn your salvation. It's a God thing that he gives to you. God is merciful. God is just. Have you ever watched a movie in which the bad guy won? You know, there are movies out there. They don't make a lot of money. Why? Because no one wants to watch them. 
I mean, really, when I get to the end of a movie and the bad guy won, I, look, if I was like in my unredeemed state before I met Jesus, I would be throwing a beer bottle at the screen. You know, it's just like, no, I don't want to see it. I don't want to know it. It's just, it, it drives me crazy. Don't make a movie like that. It's not fun. It's not fun. Even if it's true, it's not fun. Why? Because we're all born with this innate understanding that justice is right. That justice is right. That, that evil can't just prevail. That it can't just have its way. That evil doesn't, can't win and shouldn't win. We all, it's like in there. You get that from God. You get that because you look like your father. You carry, his, you carry elements of the image of God. And one of them is that God is just. He hates anything that stands in the way between his love and you. And injustice is one of those things. If you're a parent, you can follow right along with this analogy with me. If you're not a parent, just imagine yourself with some children. Imagine yourself tired most of the time. That's what, that's what parents feel. Imagine yourself tired and overwhelmed, but relying on the grace of Jesus. Imagine yourself that, and you'll know what parents feel like. But here you are standing, and you've got, you've got two children, and let's name them John and Jane for for interest sake, just to give them names. So John and Jane are standing in front of you. And John comes up and he says, Mommy, Mommy, or Daddy, Daddy, Jane ate my chocolates and stole my Legos. It's not an unusual scenario. <laughs> and what if Mia's parents turn to Jane and I say, Jane, don't worry. I love you. Everything. I forgive you. I forgive you, Jane. Imagine for a moment you're John. What are you feeling right now? As the parent is completely absolving Jane of all wrongdoing, and she's got chocolate stains on her mouth, and she's got Legos bulging out of her pockets. I mean, what are you feeling at that moment? You're feeling angry. That's what you're feeling. Why? Because my behavior as a parent is speaking something to both parties. It's speaking to Jane that I love him. I love her more than I love John. And it's speaking to John that I don't love him. That I don't care about his, his pain or his heartache. God is not that kind of parent. He cares about the pain and heartache of this world. And all of you have been victims of, of horrible things. And you all know that if God were just to say, it doesn't matter that you were hurt. You'd be angry. At the same time, all of you have hurt someone. If you're honest with yourself. Even if you're not honest with yourself, you've hurt someone. <laughs> Probably more so then. But we've all hurt someone. So God... God would love to forgive you, but there are consequences to what you did, and that has to be dealt with. The pain it caused someone else has to be dealt with. He can't just say, okay, it's all very well. You just, 
I forgive you, lovely, it doesn't matter what happened. He can't do that because there's someone on the other side of your sin that is in pain. So what does he do about it? The answer is always Jesus. Should we try that again? The answer is always Jesus. Great. Great. So what if the, mo- the mom or the dad is standing between, in front of those two children and Jesus steps up from behind and says, Hey, John, here's some more chocolate. And you know what? I'll speak to Jane. We'll get your Legos back. Don't worry. I'll take care of it. I'll make it right. Would that make a difference? It would make such a difference. And when Jesus came... Really what he did is he took the consequences of our sin. He took, first of all, the punishment. So perhaps Jesus would stand behind those two children and say, whatever consequences were coming to Jane, I'll take them. I'll make up for the bad she did. And John will make it right. And Jesus Life, death, and resurrection was about this. Him taking the consequences for everyone and making it right. Giving everyone access to have the brokenness healed, to have what was taken restored, to have the fullness returned, to have the heart come whole, to to make up for what was taken. And in so doing, God can be merciful. Because Jesus has taken care of the pain. He's taken care of the brokenness. God can be just and God can be merciful all at the same time in Jesus Christ. Luke 18 verse 7. Jesus was having a conversation with his disciples. He just spoken a parable, and he says this, he asks this rhetorical question. He says this, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? And the answer implied by that parable is a resounding yes, that God is just, and he will bring justice to the earth, and every wrong will be right, and no one gets away with anything, but at the same time, God will be merciful. God will, God will redeem, God will restore, and God will bring everyone into his presence. When you stand before Jesus and you see the consequences of all the wrong things you've done, Jesus will say to you, don't worry, I got it. Don't worry, I got it. God is just. God is creator. This is kind of like the foundational scripture of the Bible. Genesis 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Without that, there is nothing. He is the creator. My son Joshua, who is here, and he will even verify this story for you. When he was young, loved Legos, seeing as we are talking about Legos. Okay, I'm not going to talk about Joshua. I'm going to talk about a hypothetical child in a family who loved Legos. (laughs) And this young boy used to make the most fantastic Legos 
vehicles you can imagine. They were all spaceships that would fly through the air and they would bomb the Lego towns and they would make the most fantastic noises and they would push and push and push. And they would do all kinds of things as they flew around and, and they were just magical. And the mom one day thought, I'm going to be a good mom and I'm going to sit down with my son and I'm going to play Legos. And so she did and she said, son, this is so great, let's play Legos. He said, sure, here's a vehicle, all of your own, do it. And so the mom, having watched him play many times, grabbed this, this spaceship, what she thought was a spaceship, and zoomed it through the air and bombed things and, and made the appropriate noises of swooshing and flying and was very proud of her, her actions. And the son turns to her and says, no, mom. That one doesn't fly, it goes on the ground. <laughs> and mom goes, oh, of course it does. <laughs> but the point is this, he made it, he can define it. If he made it, it's his. He tells me whether it flies or, or drives. You make it, you define it. God made you, he defines you. When you woke up this morning and you didn't feel good about life, it's immaterial. Really, I mean, uh, sorry for you. You know, I, I, I feel compassion. I don't, I don't want you to feel like I don't feel compassion. But the truth is, your feelings aren't truth. So no matter how you woke up feeling this morning, the truth is God loves you. The truth is you're made in His image. The truth is you have a glorious future. The truth is, God made you, He defines you. I want to say, even your desires don't define you. Just before, guys, I'm going to be honest with you now. This, I'm taking it even for, even your actions don't define you. God defines you. God defines you. I don't care how many cars you've stolen, if God says you're redeemed, you're redeemed. Don't steal cars because you're redeemed. You know what I'm saying? I don't care what your history looks like. You are who God says you are. And here's the thing. The reason you have messed up and done those wrong things is you never believed it. You're living contrary to your nature. You're living contrary to who God made you to be. When you believe what God says about you, you will live like that person. And God says, in Christ, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. When you didn't pass that exam, you're not a failure. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You're just going to try again. That doesn't define you. That breakup in that relationship that went sour, that does not define you. The desires that beat in your heart that you know are contrary to God's word do not define you. Your sexuality does not define you. The color of your skin does not define you. God says who you are and that's who you are. Now this has beautiful consequences in other places. Because it also means that the person who sits in the desk next to you, who's always irritating you by, by drumming their pen on the table. You know those people. 
or clicking the back of their pen continuously, always like flapping their leg backwards and forwards, or worse. They're not who you think they are. They are who God says they are. You know that parent or that uncle who, who did those things that really messed you up? Even them, they're not who you think they are. They are who God says they are. Now, that doesn't mean you have to go back to that relationship. But certainly, that boss who's irritating you, they are who God says they are. And part of our work as Christians in this world is to start calling out that in people's lives. Instead of looking at their behavior, looking at their demeanor, to look past that to who that real person is and say, no, I see this in you. This is who you're meant to be. Live like it. It's calling them to a higher standard. Calling them to the righteousness that they were made to live in. God is creator. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God not only is creator, he is also gracious. You know what? We often get confused with this word. I have literally heard people who are busy having affairs and saying, oh, it doesn't matter. God will have grace. No. Well, he will have grace, but his grace will make that affair stop. We often confuse grace and mercy, and mercy is not getting the punishment that you deserve. But grace doesn't, I mean, mercy doesn't save you. Listen carefully. The fact that you are not getting punished for things you died doesn't mean you're saved. It just means God's merciful. And there are so many people that, that are living lives without consequences, and they think that means that God approves of what they do. No, that's not true. Grace saves you. Many hundreds of years before Jesus came, there was a prophet. His name was Ezekiel. And I just love this portion of Ezekiel that he said. They prophesied. He looked forward to a time. I mean, he was living amongst Israel when it, was, it had messed up its worst. And it was in a really bad place. And he was living amongst these broken people with this broken society. And he was probably hopeless and overwhelmed by everything that was going on. But God showed him a picture of what was going to come. And that what was going to come through the Messiah that would come in many hundreds of years after that. And he made this statement and he said, God is going to give you a whole heart. He's going to, bind, in other words, bind up the brokenness. He said this, God is going to reach in and he's going to take out your heart of stone and he's going to give you a heart of flesh and he's going to put his spirit in you. Grace means this, that I come to Jesus and I die. So sorry, that's a bit extreme, but it's true. I come to him and I say, God, I've tried living my life for so long. No longer can I live it. No longer can I lead it. You come in and lead it. I die to the leadership of my life. You take over. Jesus takes over. Grace is this, his empowering presence in you to do what you could not do before. Years back. When I, I had three children in three years, and they are lovely, and they are glorious, and two of them are here, so I'm going to say all nice things about them. But they, they, were, they, they were magnificent children, but three children in three years, and you're tired. You know, it's, it's, it, was, it, was, it was a strenuous time in my life. And I really, I was determined to be the best possible parent. 
I mean, I read every book. No, really. Every book that was written about parenting in those days, I had read it. I had charts up. I had notes for myself. I had systems. I, had, I was going to do this perfectly. And then no matter how hard I tried, somewhere in the day I would lose it. And I called it this dragon mom. It was like somewhere this dragon mom would just come out of me. And I would shout and scream or I would do something. I would lose it in some way. And, you know, I just, it's like I would go to God day after day. God, deliver me from this dragon mom person that just keeps emerging. No matter how hard I try to hold down this dragon mom, she just keeps popping up at unusual times. And then I would notice the look on my children's faces when Dragon Mom appeared. You know, it would be like, I could feel them like like retreating. Oh, gosh, what's going to happen now? None of you have ever done this, I know. None of you have been Dragon Mom or Dragon Dad. But, so I'm just letting you into what could have happened. (laughs) And if it was just hurting me, I would have been fine. I would have just left it. But it was hurting my children, and they were the most precious thing to me in the world. So I went before God, and I said, God, help me. Kill Dragon Mom. And he said this to me, stop trying. I was like, what? I was expecting him to give me four, four steps to a new person kind of thing. But he just said, stop trying. I was like, what? And then he said, lean on my grace. Rely on my grace. I mean, you know what? I mean, rely on my grace. Guys, it's just like so ethereal. You know, it's just like, what is that? I mean, how do you rely on grace? What do you do? I was just like, God, God, rather tell me to go and buy chocolate milk or to send my children to boarding school or, you know, you know give me some concrete thing to do this. Relying on your grace, what do you mean? And he said nothing more. So, next day, I'm there. I can feel dragon mom. She's, she's like up to my belly button and rising. You know what I'm saying? She's getting close to my mouth. She's, she's rising. I feel dragon mom coming. And so I say to the children, stay here. I head into the bathroom, lock the door, sit down on the floor. Okay, God, you said I must rely on your way, grace. I'm waiting. I'm not leaving this bathroom until your grace comes. I don't know what that's going to be. I, you know, I was expecting like an angel or at least a thunderbolt. <laughs> but I'm staying here until your grace comes. Sit there in the bathroom. And suddenly, it just so, it seems obvious to me. Your children are tired and hungry. Make them a sandwich. Could that be grace? Okay, go out, make them a sandwich. Everything's peaceful and calm. Like, huh, huh, this could work. Next day, dragon mom rising into the bathroom, lock the door, same thing. It's not that I heard sandwich every every time. You know, sometimes it was like, sometimes it was like, um, you're tired. <laughs> Go have a nap. <laughs> Sometimes it was like, oh, you feel overwhelmed because you, you feel like you're a failure because your children are doing this. Oh, just listen to me. You're, you're my beloved. You're my daughter. I love you. And I would sit there and I would just feel his healing deep in my soul. And I'd go out there and I'd be a nice person. You know, it was always something different. But I learned that 
grace is a tangible force. His presence telling you something. His presence leading you to something. His presence showing you something. His presence healing you. These are the sons of God, those who are led by the Spirit of God. This is what Christianity is. This is who we are. We are people of His grace. What do you do in hard times? You lean on His grace. What does that look like? You wait for His leading. You wait for His presence. You follow what He says. You do what He tells you to. We lean on His grace because it's not about us. It's about Him in us, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You're not a good person because you're great. You're a good person because you leant on His grace. You're a good person because He's good. And you, you surrender to Him. God is creator and God is gracious. So who is God? God is love. God is holy. God is merciful. God is just. God is creator and God is gracious. The most important foundational truth you will ever get Who is God? There is a world out there who has an idea of God that is so different from who he is. You meet them every day. For them, God is a self-righteous bigot. For them, God is a distant, uncaring being. For, For them, God is just some entity that has no interest or no relevance to their lives. We know better. God is love. God is holy. God is merciful. God is just. God is creator. God is gracious. We carry the creator of the universe in our hearts. And the world out there is waiting for the revealing of who he is. All of creation longs, it says in Romans 8, for the revealing of the sons of God. What does that mean? People who will stand up and show that God is with them. The God who is the creator of the universe. Your work colleagues your varsity friends, your family. Think God is one thing. You know he's another thing. Let's live, let's speak, so that they will see who he really is. Because I'm telling you this, every heart ever created was designed for God's presence. And when they see God for who he really is, they will come running. They will come running. This is the the foundational truth of all truths. Without this truth, nothing else matters. If we get who God is wrong, we get everything wrong. Coincidentally, who is God is also the first chapter of our primary discipleship tool. Not really coincidentally. That would mean it just happened by accident. No, we put it there. Why? Because we believe it is the foundational truth that everyone must know in order to live a successful life in Jesus. They must know who God is, who he really is. They must peel away the deceptions and the wrong thinking about who God is so that they can see him, see him squarely for who he is and live from that revelation. Therefore, the first thing we disciple anyone in is who is God. Heal the brokenness of the misconceptions of who God is. I want to ask you a favor. As you go out of here this week, 
would you try an experiment? Would you try starting some conversations with some people about who God is? Some questions you can ask them is, do you believe in God? Guys, you don't even have to identify yourself as a Christian before this. Just start the conversation. We'll take it from there. You are going to identify yourself as a Christian at some stage. But just start the conversation. Do you believe in God? How about have you ever experienced God? How about, would you like to discover how to connect with God? Are you open to having discussions where we can discover who God is together? That's just you inviting them to your connect group. That's exact, that's code word for come to connect group. Would you like to explore how to have a fresh start with God? And you're going to start a conversation with them. And in that conversation, you're going to say things like, you know what I discovered recently? That God is love. Do you know what that means? It means that Muhammad, I mean, Allah, cannot be God because he's only one. So he, he can't be love. God would have to be Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to be love. And then they'll look at you like you're crazy and you're going to say, okay, and so when are you going to finish that report? And then you're going to carry on the conversation later. And you're going to ask, have them say things like, you know what I discovered? And it's really thrilling me that God is holy. Do you know what that means? What do you think holiness is? And then you're going to start a conversation and tell of your experience that you've had with God. You don't need to get down with them and kneel and pray the sinner's prayer. I'm just asking you to start the conversation. And somewhere in that conversation, that, might, that may start now and end in a week's time or... In six months' time, start the conversation. Start them on the road of thinking about who God is and reveal through your words in your life the reality of who He really is. And at some stage, you will get the opportunity and you'll say, hey, would you like to journey with me? We, do, we talk about this kind of stuff with Connect Group. Why don't you come and join us? Or, hey, you know what? I think you'd really enjoy church. Come and meet some other people who have discovered who God is. Amen. You were born for this. Everything inside of you was born to build the kingdom. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your, your glory and your grace upon us. Thank you for your love, your holiness. Lord, thank you for your justice, your mercy. Thank you that you are creator and you extend grace to us at every turn. That we are never without your grace, Lord. Lord, thank you. Thank you, thank you. I'm still praying. I'm just thinking. What, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for the grace. I'm leaning on the grace right now. That's what the pause is. I feel like there's some people here and you, you've been asking God this question. I just, I want more of you. I, I want to just be filled with more with your presence. I want to work for you more. I want to just be more in the things of God. Whatever the particular way you've said it, I feel like God wants to give that to you today. And if that's you, I'm going to ask you to just raise your hands. This is not an altar call. I'm not going to make you come up or say anything. But if, if you're just feeling like, I just need more of God in my life.
Can you just raise your hands? I want to pray for you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You know what? I think it's a universal truth. We always need more of God in our lives. When we get to the end of having all of God in us, it will be the end of time. But just raise your hands. I'm going to ask our leaders, if you wouldn't mind just going around and and laying hands on these people who've got their hands raised, just as a way of standing with them and believing with them. Lord, Lord, come and fill these people. Lord, all of us, my hands are raised, Lord God. Lord God, we want more of you. Lord God, I pray for everyone with their hands raised, Lord God, that you would, you would touch them. You would reveal yourself to them. Lord God, I pray that grace that I learn, have learned to lean on, would it be evident in every part of their lives, Lord? Lord God, would they start to feel your presence, hear your voice, follow your leading in greater and greater measure? Lord, I dare to even ask that they would have dreams of you, vivid 3D dreams of who you are. Lord God, would you take them on adventures with you? Lord God, I ask for visions. Lord God, as they awake, like they would experience you in new ways. Lord God, I pray for physical sensations of your presence with them, Lord God. As they're interacting in their day, they they would literally know your presence with them. Lord God, I'm asking that everything, every lie of the enemy, any, every hindrance to them knowing you more would be removed in Jesus' name. Would be removed in Jesus' name. Lord, clear the, clear the way between you and them and flood them. Flood them with your presence, Lord God. Father God, would you arrest those thoughts of condemnation, of depression, of hopelessness, of powerlessness, of fear, of anxiety? Would you erase them? Would you stop them in their tracks? And would you pour out right thinking? Would you pour out revelations of Jesus? Would you pour out the revelation of you with them? Would you pour out the understanding of your strength and your grace upon them? Lord God, let it become a living, breathing reality that they are sons and daughters of the Most High God. Let it be that, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Lord God, we are. We are a peculiar people, a holy nation. Lord God, would you make us that? Would, let, would that be obvious to the world that we stand apart ten times better because of the presence of God upon us? as Daniel and his friends were, connected to the source of all wisdom, Lord God, having the the words of comfort and life and truth in every season, Lord God. Let us be those people, Lord. Let us be those people and let us be those people, Lord God, who no matter what our failings or weaknesses, stand strong in the face of adversity and difficulty because we know who God is and that God is with us. Thank you, Lord. Let us trust you because you're a faithful God. You're a faithful God. You're a faithful God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.